morning, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus 28. Um, and so even back, if you remember back when Moses um, was first going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. One of the reasons, the primary reason he was saying, let my people go, was uh, he, 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 he said, so that the, the nations may know of, of, of who you are. And so the whole movement out of Exodus was really, it was a, it was a testimony. And if you remember um, Rahab, that's how Rahab knew um, about God was from this Exodus. She had heard about the God who had split the Red Sea. And so God's always been a God of the nations. And so last week we saw where he's, he's, he's a God that wants to be with his people, he, all, all people, not just the Jews, um, but he wanted to be with all people. And last week we saw where he told the Jews to make a tabernacle, this tent where they could move around, this portable tent to where while they were wandering through the wilderness, they, God would always dwell with them. Well, this week we get to see that he um, picks the priests. And I want you to notice that as he's picking the priests, uh, Aaron and his sons, they, they don't, they're not running for an office. Uh, God picks um, Aaron and his sons to be the priests. Uh, and um, as we move through these chapters, 28 through 31, as I summarize a lot of this, I want you to see this, this, this idea of holy work and holy rest. That God calls these priests to a holy work. And he calls his people to a holy rest. Using these holy priests to give them a holy rest. So, um, chapter 28, if you have a, a Bible, look, just look with me. You'll see chapter 28 is probably, your, your title says something like the priest's garment. And that's all of chapter 28 just talks about what a priest should wear. Now, you would think maybe I didn't read that because I'm maybe not, you know, I know sometimes we have visitors, definitely visitors from a more traditional church. That they, they're shocked by what I wear to preach in. Uh, and, and I think it's important that we realize that we are in a new covenant. And sometimes we get so confused. I want you to go back a few weeks ago where we talked about like old covenant, new covenant, and, and, and while we still don't do the things that the Jews did in the Old Testament, we, we are not, we're not the Jews. Um, I am not a priest, so I'm, I'm not commanded to, to wear this, this garment. Uh, I'm a pastor. Pastors and priests are different, similar, but I am not the one that's atoning for your sin. Christ is the high priest. Christ atoned for your sin, not me. You don't come and confess your sin to me. You confess your sin to God. Once you've confessed your sin to God, you can confess your sin to others. James reminds us of that. James chapter 5 says, when you confess your sin to others, you will be healed. And so there's the idea of like, you still may be carrying some, some shame or guilt, and when you confess it to other people, then uh, then you experience this healing. You feel so much better once you get it off your chest and tell someone. So just keep in mind, as we read this, you will never see me wear this garment that we're going to read about, okay? So, uh, so let's start in verse 1. 
He says, uh, then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. I want you to remember a few weeks ago when we were in Exodus 19. You remember God wanted one type of person. It was going to be this kingdom of priests. Because of their sin, uh, they, they disobeyed, and now God is setting up this, these categories. The people and the priests. And so here's the institution of the priests. Verse 4, these are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. So the rest of the chapter of 28 explains each of these pieces, these garments that they'll wear. So this is what the priests would wear. So let's just look at this together. So an ephod is in verses 6, so like the next little section there in chapter 28. So 6 through 14, you're going to read what this ephod is and, and how it was made. Um, basically, it was like, um, uh, if, if you can imagine, for those of you who play sports and you know what a sports penny is, the little jersey you just kind of put on. That's what an ephod was, in a sense. I mean, it wasn't a sports penny, but it was looked similar to what we would call a sports penny. The little um, jersey-type thing that would go over your clothing. It was made of gold, um, and, and you'll see here in, in verses 9 and 10, uh, part of this is you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone and the name of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. So this was all part of what would go on, on the ephod. It was, and these six stones on, on one and six on the other with the names of uh, the sons of, of Israel. Th this was the idea. Now think about this. So you had the tabernacle, and you remember in it you had the Holy of Holies with this curtain, and behind it was this, um, the, the Ark of the Covenant, and then out here you had the lampstand, um, and, uh, and then on out you had the altar. And so the priest could come into the holy place. This was the holy of holies or most holy. This would be the holy place where the priest could be. So the priest, when he would come in, he would be wearing this ephod that would have all the names of Israel on them, in a sense showing that because of the holiness of the priest, all of Israel, all the family of God, could be close to God. So it was like this beautiful thing that this priest allowed you, a sinful person, into the presence of God. Next you saw this, this breast piece in verses 15 through 30. Again, you just read through that. It's so elaborate how it was made and designed. And similar in verse 21, you'll see that there shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. 
and they shall be engraved. Um, they shall be signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. Again, the priest would wear this garment, and it would have two different sets of names saying, the whole family of God can come into the presence of God because of the holiness of the priest. Uh, we keep going. In verse 31 through 35, you'll see the robe that was made. Uh, fascinating, this robe. Again, so intricate. And just notice here in verse 33 that on its hems you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarn around its hem with bells of gold between them. Uh, and I, I, I love studying this and um, thinking about why in the world would there be bells on these robes? And it was this reminder to the priest that you can never sneak up on God. That as we've been reading through Psalm 139, that God even knows the words on your, on your lips. Like he, he knows your thoughts. And like, just to remind the priest, like, everywhere, you know, just like ring, 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 just jingle, 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 like, like, there's no way you're ever going to sneak behind the curtain and, like, get a peek at God. Like, God knows you're coming because you got this silly robe on that everybody's going to know you're coming. And so they would wear this ephod, this breast piece, this robe. And then next you see a turban in verse 36 through 38. You shall make a plate uh, of gold, uh, a plate of pure gold, and engrave on it like the engraving of the signet, holy to the Lord. It was a reminder just that God is holy, that everywhere they went is a reminder to everyone, holy is the Lord. Next was this coat and sash in verses uh, 39 and 41. So they had a, a coat um, um, that would go along with the robe and this sash that would go over them. And then uh, just, it's funny because, you know, when you, teach your kids to dress, you have to go over every little detail, and the very last thing they talk about is the undergarment. Make sure they even wear underwear. It's important. Like here, God's saying every piece needs to have, like, significance. And so why would God talk to them about their undergarments? Well, in 42 and 43, look at this. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for them, for him, and for his offspring after him. Uh, and so, remember the tabernacle was a... It was a reminder to them. It was very symbolic in many ways of the Garden of Eden. It was also pointing to, uh, to the future. This is similar. You remember back in the Garden when they, um, they were naked and unashamed at the end of chapter 2? They were, they were married. God told them to leave their father and mother, and so they were both naked and unashamed. Chapter 3, they eat of the fruit, and the very first thing they realized was that they were naked, and they were shamed. You remember what they did? They, they covered themselves. Um, and, and so here's this picture that God is reminding them of guilt and shame, that, um, that their guilt must be covered. And, and so here's, the, here's what they wore. This was, the, this was the garment that every priest 
from this moment all the way through when we start reading about Christ, like the priest then, still wearing the same thing. But here's, here's the problem. The problem is you've got Aaron and Aaron's sons who we'll see later are just, they're far from holy. So how can these unrighteous men be considered holy and take away the sins of others? That's what 29 is about. Chapter 29 is the picture is the consecration of the priest. So that's what 29, the whole chapter is about fixing this problem. That every priest, and so the priests come from the bloodline of Aaron. And so, remember I said earlier that Aaron didn't get to run for this office. God said, you are going to be the priest. And all your sons, that's what they're going to be, priests. So I know a lot of you are like maybe freshmen, like you're, like you're in college and you've changed your major a thousand times. It kind of would be nice just to already know what you're going to do. Like when you're like 9, 10, 11, 12, or definitely by the time you get to high school and everybody's saying, so what are you going to do? So what are you going to do when you graduate? You already, already know. I'm going to be a priest. I have no choice. Now, we're going to see that's not always a good idea um, because some of them didn't want to be priests, and they were terrible priests. Um, and so here you have these priests who none of them were perfect. And so that was a major problem. So God instructed Moses how to um, make them holy or consecrated. That's what consecrated means to be set apart, to be holy, to be made right. And so the entirety of 29 is how these sinful men would be recognized in the Old Covenant as holy. And um, all, all throughout it, you're going to see, this, so let's just start reading this from 1 through 9. It says, now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron uh, the coat and the robe and the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on the head and, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them, and you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them, and the priesthood shall be theirs by statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. And then it continues. Uh, it will continue to, to talk about things you need to do. Um, you, you take those, it, it said earlier in verse 1, uh, that you have a bull and uh, two rams. So that's what the rest of the chapter is about what to do with the bull and the two rams. You would take the bull and you would sacrifice it. You'd spread its blood on the altar. 
you would take the second ram, do the same thing. Then um, or you would take the first ram, which would be the second animal, do the same thing. The second ram, which would be the third animal that would be sacrificed, you would take that blood and you would sprinkle it on the priest. You would take some of the blood and you'd put it on his right ear, and then you'd put it on his right thumb, and then you'd put it on his right big toe. That's all this is right here in chapter 29. Uh, and this is showing us already, this is pointing us that blood must be shed to make something holy. Here, these unrighteous men, and this blood is being shed to make them holy so that they can atone for the sins of the people. So that's chapter 29. Chapter 30 is you start to see these tabern tabernacle procedures. So in um, uh, verses 1 through 10, you see the altar of incense. And so this is where I, I love that God created us with different senses. Like think about your taste buds for a moment. He could have made food. He could have made us to where all the food just tastes the same. I mean, really, food is to help us to keep alive, right? We eat it so we can live, but it's also we eat it to enjoy it, that, that we, we find pleasure. Uh, and there's certain foods that you enjoy better than others. Um, and so I, I love that we have these different senses. And one of, one of the senses we have is that we can smell. So here's this altar of incense. Um, this would be burning all day long. And so the first thing in the morning at, at sunrise and then the first thing at sunset at, at twilight, the, the priest would light the altar of incense. And so it would always be, they always have this aroma. So it's very detailed on how this should be done. Then uh, the next procedure is uh, 11 through 16. It's called the census tax or the temple tax. Um, and this was something that was paid um, by every male who was 20 years old or older, they would pay this temple tax every year. And the temple tax would be for refurbishing the, the tabernacle. You know, as they're moving about the wilderness, um, things need to be replaced. This even went into the temple when it was permanently constructed as the temple. Uh, they were still doing the temple tax. Um, and so even Jesus mentions the temple tax in Matthew chapter 17. Uh, and so this was to, for upkeep of the tabernacle and the temple. The next procedure, you see the bronze basin in verses 17 through 21. And uh, this would allow the priest to wash. And so they would they'd wash themselves. So it was symbolically showing that they were clean. And then you'll see again, ending out chapter 30, the, the anointing oil and incense um, in greater detail. And so... Um, these are all the different pieces that would go in to what a priest would have to do to make himself holy so that he could serve the people. Chapter 31 is where we'll finish our journey with the life of Moses uh, today. In 31, you're going to see the Lord's gifts in verses 1 through 18. You're going to see two gifts that he gives us. The first one is the Holy Spirit in verses 1 through 11. Uh, and so let's read 1 through 5. And it says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name um, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, 
with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones, for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. Here we see in the Old Testament, God filling certain individuals with the Holy Spirit. And that's the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. God would give the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose for a specific time. It's, it's different than how the Holy Spirit indwells in believers now. And so here's this beautiful picture of God giving somebody the Holy Spirit to do a task. But I want you like to think about this. As we think about the Holy Spirit, do you ever think of the Holy Spirit in this way? Like, look, look what the task was. I think sometimes we, we minimize and we sensationalize uh, the Spirit's role. We minimize by, by, like, we don't think about Him enough. We sensationalize thinking that the Holy Spirit is so that we can cast out a demon or raise the dead to life. Here, notice the Holy Spirit's role was what? Just so they could be artistic. So that they could um, skillfully put these things together. That the Holy Spirit was given to this person for this specific purpose. And I'm so encouraged to think like the Holy Spirit is needed for a task like this. Um, that we need to ask God's help in, in the most simple tasks. Like God um, is helping us, giving us um, the ability to do what we would just maybe think of some simplistic task that we would never ask the Holy Spirit to come into our life to do something like an everyday job. And here God is saying, invite, you know, uh, in, in ask, I want to help you. I want to fill you with the Spirit of God. And, uh, and, and so here, right here in the Old Testament, we see that God is giving his spirit to do something that we would probably belittle. And all you art people are like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, the, God is for me. Uh, think about the New Testament. In Acts chapter 6, when um, the church is starting to have some problems because it's growing so much, and uh, it seems like in Acts 6 is when the deacons began to be um, uh, set aside for specific jobs. Notice that that, that specific job was to serve the widows. But yet every one of those men, it said that they were filled with the Spirit. And, and I think sometimes we forget that we need to be filled with the Spirit to do any task that God would have us to do. That we don't want to get ahead of Him and leave Him behind. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, the second gift that we see here in chapter 31 is the Sabbath. In verses 12 through 8. So let's read that together. But um, I, don't, I don't actually don't have that up there. Um, so the Sabbath here 
is, is, is this idea of rest. So they worked six days, and then they took rest. And this was this idea that the priest would give them this, this rest, that, uh, that they would work hard, and even their sins they would bring before the priest. The priest would make atonement for, the, for their sins, and they would find rest. Uh, that they wouldn't work, and it was serious. If they didn't take the Sabbath, they would even be cut off um, from the people. Even if they would um, blaspheme the Sabbath, they shall be put to death. It was a serious deal, and this idea was that, that God was setting them up for rest, that you work hard, and then there's rest. So as we transition this morning to a time of the Lord's Supper and communion, I want you to think about how are you able to come to the table this morning? Do you come to this table this morning because you've worked hard? Because you've done a lot for God and God now invites you to the table because you're such a good person. You've worked hard and now you can find rest in God. And I think the table shows us that that kind of thinking is silly because when you look at the table, you see a cup showing us that it represents blood, that something had to die for the cup to be at the table, that it wasn't because you worked hard for six days, that, you know, you worked hard for your life. That's what the whole Sabbath is, the whole idea of working six days, then finding rest. It points us to you work hard for your life, and then you have rest afterwards. But your rest doesn't come from your works of working hard in this life. It comes from someone else's works who work in this life. Uh, it comes from Christ's work. His work saves you, not your work. His work saves you in that he was completely obedient where you could not be obedient. I am a sinful man. I cannot find rest in my life. So some of you may be coming and you think, I can come to God because I, I'm good enough. I've worked hard enough. I've done enough good things. And the Lord's Supper reminds you every time, no, that is not the case. Your good works will never bring you rest to the table. You will never be able to come to the table and commune with the holy God. It took shedding of blood. It took his broken body. Uh, and so I, I love going through the Old Testament, thinking about all the ways this points us to Christ. Hebrews 9 uh, does a really good job of pointing us or showing us how these things connect together. So we have all these priests, and all of them were sinful. And then we get to the greatest high priest of all, Hebrews 9. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all to the holy places. Not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of the heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So we are not under the old covenant. 
We don't have priests. We don't have a temple. And, and some of this may shock you, but this is not an altar. This is a stage. It is no more holy than where you're setting. The reason where you're setting and the where I'm standing is holy is because the presence of God is in you. So we don't have temple today. Uh, we are under the new covenant. Uh, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So it, this is this idea, this covenant, um, the old covenant and Christ brings in this new covenant. And I love this Hebrews 4. It says, since then we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. So, so this is how all this ties in. This is why I just want to encourage you today. It is under the old covenant, you had this temple tabernacle. You had this priest who would be in the, the holy place. And you would come, sinful man, sinful woman, to make atonement for your sin. And some animal would die. And I, I, I love that, that when you would leave and, and you would sin again, this priest would be consecrated. And even when you would sin, you remember the effort and the breath piece, how we would have those stones? That even when you were away and you hadn't come back yet to make atonement for that new sin, you were still in the presence of God because of the priest that was there. As long as he was dressed in his robes of righteousness, you were, in a sense, in the presence of God because of him, because of the stones that represented the family of God. I love thinking about that truth in light of Hebrews 4. Now, we're here today, and, and, and our sins have been atoned for. And our great high priest is on his throne. He's in heaven. He's in the holy of holies. And we're still here, and we're not exactly in his presence yet. But we're part of the family of God. And he has your name on him. That when you're in Christ, you're there at the throne of God always. Whether or not you realize you're fully in the presence of God or not, your name is there. And he's, he's got you. He's holding you. And so we can hold fast to this confession. So even this week, when you struggle, or last week, maybe you're struggling this morning. You feel like, I just, I've messed up, and I just don't feel like God's close to me, or I, I, I just, just feel distant from him. N know that if you're in Christ, and that's important, you've got to be in Christ, but if you're in Christ, then right now, you can hold fast this confession. Because you're not in the presence of God by how you live anyway. You're in the presence of God because of who you put your trust in. That you're trusting that Christ's atonement, just as those people would come to the te temple or tabernacle and trust that the priest could atone for their sin, that's what we're doing. By faith, you're trusting that the great high priest can atone for your sin. So today, you get to come to the table and celebrate what he's done for you.
morning. So let us prepare our hearts to receive uh, the Lord's Supper this morning. And so we do that by um, repenting of any sin in your life that you need to confess of, um, reconciling any relationship that, to the best of your ability, you can reconcile. Then Christ invites you to come to the table and commune with him. And when you come, notice the elements, that it's not, it's not like uh, uh, um, some construction tools to symbolize like how hard you worked. Uh, there's no boots there that you've strapped on and strapped up to where you've worked hard. No, it's, it's a cup symbolizing his blood and bread that's broken to represent his body that was broken for us. That Christ died for your sin, was buried, and three days later rose from death and now reigns in power. And because he reigns in power, we are victorious. And so when you come this morning, remember what he has done. And as we think about Advent and the hope that we have in Christ, that he is coming again. Let us pray. God, this morning we um, are thankful for our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who has died for us. We are thankful that his blood covered all of our sins, not some of them. Lord, may we find our hope in him. May we not find our hope in our good works or in our materials, in our kindness. May we find our our hope in the work of Christ. As we come to the table, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take um, the Lord's Supper in a right manner. Uh, so, Lord, um, if someone should not take, I pray that you'd convict them just to stay seated, um, that they would make their life right with you before they would come to the table. And Lord, we thank you so much for your blood that was shed your body that was broken so that we may live with you forever. Lord, remind us that we are victorious this morning, that you have overcome all of our sin, that we are not a slave any more, Lord, that we are free from that bondage. And may we live as free people. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.